Hey, friends. Before we get started today, I want to give a quick explainer of what's happened with this week's episode and why it's going to sound a little different than I even expected 72 hours ago. A different version of this episode was loaded into the feed as usual on Thursday morning. However, it quickly became clear that I'd made an error in the production of the episode. So in fairness to our guest, Alexa, I pulled the episode so we could fix it. As you'll hear in the full intro in a moment, our guest, Alexa, is deaf, and we did the interview through an ASL interpreter. It was my first time doing an interview with an interpreter, and it didn't occur to me to send the transcript to Alexa in advance of the release to confirm that the translation accurately reflected what she had said. As soon as she saw it, Alexa emailed me to let me know there were some issues. We've taken the last three days to go through the issues and discovered that while long portions of conversation are totally fine, there are some significant mistranslations that cannot and should not stand. There's too much misunderstanding and misrepresentation of women's thoughts and feelings in this world already. I do not wish to be part of continuing that harm. I considered hiring an actor to revoice the interpreter's entire half of the conversation so it would sound seamless for you. But no matter how good an actor is, they'll never be able to capture the freshness of having the conversation in the moment. So instead, I've decided to leave Courtney's translation intact for most of the interview but I am going to break in several times to read you the corrected version that Alexa has provided me over the last couple days. Each time I do that, you'll hear this sound so you can keep track of what's happening. Many thanks to Liz Zirk and Gretchen Kilby for helping to get this episode reworked on the fly. And of course, Huge thanks to Alexa for your grace and understanding through this sort of topsy-turvy process. I think you'll find this episode fascinating, and I'm so glad that you finally get to hear it. Okay, now on to the show. Welcome to Good Girls Talk About Sex. I'm sex educator and sexual communication coach, Leah Carey, and this is a place to share conversations with all sorts of women about their experience of sexuality. These are unfiltered conversations between adult women talking about sex. If anything about the previous sentence offends you, turn back now. And... If you're looking for a trigger warning, you're not going to get it from me. I believe that you are stronger than the trauma you have experienced. I have faith in your ability to deal with things that upset you. Sound good? Let's start the show. Hey, friends. If you watched the Netflix series Deaf You that premiered in October 2020, you almost certainly remember Alexa. With long blonde hair and an electric personality, she was the breakout star of the show. 
Her storyline was buzzy because it involved raw conversations about getting pregnant by another cast member and having an abortion. She also talked about her difficult relationship with her father, describing herself as having daddy issues that make romantic relationships challenging. Watching the show, I immediately knew that I wanted to interview Alexa because she spoke so openly about dating and sexuality. Plus, I'd been wanting to have a deaf or hard of hearing person on the show for quite a while. But public figures are often reticent to talk openly about their sex lives. So I sent Alexa a DM without much expectation of hearing back from her. Imagine my delight when she said yes to doing an interview. As you'll notice, the rhythm of this conversation is a little different than usual. It's the first time I've ever done a conversation through an interpreter, and it took some time for me to relax into that flow. Many thanks to our fantastic American Sign Language interpreter, Courtney Farbman. Courtney explained to me before we began that the grammar structure between ASL and American English is different, so there would be times when she'd have to wait until Alexa or I were done with a thought before she could begin translating. That naturally results in lots of long silences. There were also pauses in the midst of translating, when Courtney would finish part of Alexa's thought, then wait to take in the next piece of what she was saying before translating that. We've edited out most of those blank spots, but it still doesn't flow in the same way a conversation between two hearing people does. In the spirit of diversity and representation, we have not been overzealous in trying to make this sound like a conversation between two hearing people. Okay, Alexa is a 24-year-old cisgender female. She describes herself as white, straight, monogamous, with a sporty body. At the time of this broadcast, she is dating fellow Deaf U cast member Braxton. I am so pleased to introduce Alexa. So Alexa, welcome. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here for this. Awesome. And uh, so that people know, um, the person whose voice you're hearing is our interpreter, Courtney. So the first question I ask everyone is what is your first memory of sexual pleasure? Hmm. Well, I'm thinking the first memory I have of actually feeling horny or, you know, trying to figure out what are these sexy feelings? Um, are you asking about a specific, the first time I felt horny or the first time I had an orgasm? What is it that you're looking for? The first time that some people will talk about being four years old and humping their teddy bear, and other people will talk about their first kiss and and having those feelings. So it's whatever it means to you. Hmm. Well, I know growing up, I was a very sexual kid. Trying to figure out how to definitely talk about this. I was figuring out how to identify myself. I was, I was, it was a young age, um, but it was common. It's common for kids around those ages to start figuring out when thing, what feels good and everything else that's going on. Hey, it's Leah with the first audio break-in as promised. Here is the rest of Alexa's response. 
My mom noticed that I started self-gratifying at a very young age. I was doing it everywhere, even when she had guests over. I was around six or seven, and I remember her telling me that it was okay to do these things, but that it should be done somewhere private, like a bedroom. I didn't really understand why I needed to stay in the room when we first talked about it, but later I understood sex and sexuality is a personal decision and private. Many people are uncomfortable with the topic, so I kept it in the bedroom going forward with my self-pleasure. And then as I got older, I developed into a woman. Men began to notice that and started testing my boundaries, and I went along with it because I wanted to explore that too. And then having to figure out how to talk about boundaries in a way that everybody understood and what kind of impact that could have, figuring out what is and what isn't good. Looking back, I guess it was when I really started growing up, probably around the age of puberty, when I noticed, oh, this is how I interact with boys. This is what makes me feel embarrassed, and this is what feels good. Okay, now back to the interview. And I think it's really important, the reason why I was so open on TV, I feel like if you keep it on private, people keep seeing sex as a taboo topic, and it's and it's not. Yeah. And at first, you know... That's how I felt when I first started trying to figure out what I shouldn't tell anybody. When is it too soon to start having these conversations and how, how I can and can't go about it? How do I talk about these feelings of arousal that I'm having or anything else? But once I started making these decisions for myself, it got easier to decide. I completely agree with you. Part of the reason I do what I do is because sex was such a taboo subject for me well into my late 30s and early 40s. Um, and then finally, in my early 40s, I started learning how to talk about it. And I don't want women your age to have to go through all those years. Yeah, I really, really appreciate that you do something like this. And I feel a lot of people do feel like you have to keep sex hidden and that it's such a taboo topic, but it's really not. It's a very normal part of life. And I feel like people need to have these conversations because it's important to be able to talk to each other, especially if you're going to be intimate. Yeah. So were you exploring your own body? You said you were a very sexual kid. Were you exploring your own body before you hit puberty? Oh, yeah. Way before puberty. I think I actually started around four, three or four. So I was riding in the car and I'm like, oh, this feels good. We should go on longer <laughs> rides. It was great. I love that. <laughs> and so at what point did you think I can mimic these feelings from the car myself, like with your hand or with some other object that you controlled? Mm, well, I got my first toy a few years ago. And I before then, I was using my hands, of course, which is natural. But I, I really felt I get more out of the toy. I was like, oh, this is interesting. It's a different type of feeling. And of course, there are so many options. <laughs> yes. Do you remember how old you were when you first started using your hands? I think maybe I want to say 14, 15, somewhere around there. 
And did you enjoy it right away or did it take some practice? It was just so weird. I felt so awkward doing it. I was like, I can't do this again. I had to stop for a while. And then I realized, oh, I kind of need to do this. I need something to satisfy myself. Yeah. And were you coming to something that you would recognize now as an orgasm? No, actually, I didn't. It it definitely felt good. Mm -hmm. But I think there was a little bit of a disconnect for me because I was still feeling awkward. So I didn't get to orgasm for a little while. And actually didn't start having regular orgasms until I had a partner. Mm -hmm. So I actually use a vibrator when that happens. And that definitely helps. But I only figured that part out last year. (laughs) Yeah. And that's perfectly normal to during those early explorations to not come to an orgasm, um, which is one of the reasons I ask about it. (laughs) So when did you have your first experience with a partner? I think around 15 it was. How did you decide you were ready to do that? Alexa said, I was at a very low point in my life at the time, and I thought I needed male attention to make me feel better. And did it when you actually had sex? Did it make you feel better? No, it made me feel more sad, actually, Mm. because um, that guy didn't care about me. So now I felt more like I'm being used and not being taken seriously and just not cared for. I'm sorry. Thank you. It's it's fine now. You know, it was in it was in the past. Yeah, but it still sucks for that to be your first experience. Yeah, I definitely did. I really thought like that a lot of women had these amazing first time experiences and I was wondering why I wasn't having that and everything else. It was horrible. It was just awful. It was short. It didn't feel very good. And I was just trying to tell myself that I was fine, but it wasn't. Did you continue seeing him? Did you have more sexual experiences with him? Well, we only slept together that one time. And that was enough for me. Um, (laughs) And then afterwards, you know, I had to try and figure out how to reconnect with boys and how to set up these boundaries, I would say. So I can have these experiences without getting hurt again. You know, I want to get what I want and give what he wants, but not give too much of myself. Yeah. Did you have sex education in school? Uh, yes, I had two. I don't remember very much about it, though. But um, there was two classes dedicated to it in elementary school. One in elementary school, one in high school. When you say classes, do you mean like an hour or do you mean a semester? Um, it was for a full semester in high school. Mm-hmm. Was it useful? I don't remember too much about it. <laughs> and they showed us how to put a condom on it. You know, they used the whole banana trick. It was a, a fake penis. Oh, they showed us what it looked like. They showed us what birth would look like, but not what it really looked like when it's like having a kid. (laughs) Did you get any information about how to have a healthy relationship? Not just like 
the penis goes in the vagina, but all the stuff that goes with that? Nope. <laughs> no, not that I can remember. But like I said, I, I don't remember much of that class anyway, but I don't think there was a lot related to relationships. Mm-hmm. I do think it's important to discuss, though. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, sex ed in general. I think not everybody gets it. And those who do generally get something that's about the penis goes in the vagina. And here are the diseases you can get, as opposed to here's how you can have a healthy sexual relationship. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Were there any other places in your life that you were getting messaging about sexuality, like a church? Well, you said you didn't go to church, but any sports um, anywhere else? No, well, like I said, we didn't go to church. Um, I didn't feel a lot of connection to that. My family wasn't either, so I didn't really get any of the ch- standard church message related to sex. Um you know, me and my friends would talk about it, who had this experience first, who did drugs first, who was flirting with who, do you have a boyfriend, you know, stuff like that. Not very educational. There was also that that pressure to, if my friends are doing it, I should be doing it too. Yeah. Did you feel when you had sex the first time, was it partially because there was pressure in your peer group? Not really, because my friend group didn't have a lot of experience at that time because we were still so young. Mm. But also, I was the first person in my group to do anything. So maybe I influenced them. (laughs) (laughs) And um, once you had done it, were they asking a lot of questions about what it was like and how it worked? Oh, yes, they were. Um, well, you know, I was the first person and I was like, oh, it's awful. So we talked about what was and wasn't really important for their first time. But, you know, after that, I was like, oh, there was a little bit of blood and that freaked them out. <laughs> oh, so you had blood your first time. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. It sounds like you had a couple of experiences that were not great. At what point did you have an experience that was enjoyable? Alexa said, I finally had a good, satisfying experience when I realized that men need to give me pleasure too, and I could communicate that clearly. My first time realizing that was quite a few years ago. One time we went for it and I was like, hey, buddy, it's my turn. And it was great from there. I learned that I could tell someone, north, south, a little lower, to the right, to the left, slower. They can never find the clit on their own. I have to give directions, like a roadmap. It was hard for me to orgasm for a very long time. What helps is when a guy takes the pressure off. One time with a guy, we went for an hour and there was nothing but he was so patient with me. And then eventually I was able to have an orgasm and it was great because it didn't feel like I was under a magnifying glass. But if you're with the same guy for a while, there's there's time to try different things and figure out what feels better. 
you know, of course, it was it was a two way street. It was a conversation that we would have, and we both had to figure out how to learn about our bodies, what I like, what I don't like, and then how to tell him about that. Because you know, if you don't tell them, they're not going to know. Yeah. And so, what kinds of things did you discover you really enjoy? Kind of hard to explain. Because what I liked at first started to change over mm-hmm. time and actually kind of changes with the partner. So you have to keep going for a while to figure out what's good with this person and what's good with this person might not be good with another person. And, you know, depending on how experienced both of you are at sex, it, it changes. Yeah. But if you're if you're pretty straightforward with sex, you know, you can talk about, oh, that hurts. Oh, I'm kind of dry. You need to do something to make me a little bit more wet here. Yeah. want to invite you to imagine for a moment what your ideal sex life looks like and feels like. Who are you with? What type of sex do you have together? How do you feel while touching them? And how does your body feel when they touch you? Or maybe you'd like to be having less sex than you're currently having. If you don't know Or if that vision of your ideal doesn't look at all like what's currently going on in your bedroom, I can help. With personalized sex and intimacy coaching, we'll explore where you are, how you got here, where you want to be, and the steps to help you get there. There are no right or wrong answers, just the answers that work for you. I understand that exploring your sexuality and all that goes with it, your body image, your belief in your lovability, and more can be terrifying. Believe me, I sat in the middle of that fire for decades. I know how painful it is. But I also stepped out the other side, stronger, more confident, and more certain of my lovability and desirability. And I want the same for you. I work with couples and one-on-one, whether you've never explored your sexual desires before, or you want to explore things you've never done before, like maybe BDSM or non-monogamy, or if you and your partner need some help figuring out how to communicate together so you can have better sex. I'm queer, kinky, and poly-friendly, and I want you to have a deeply fulfilling, intimate life. Together, we can help you get there. For more information and to schedule your free discovery call, visit leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. A new client recently said that before her discovery call, she was extremely nervous, but that I made the experience feel easy and comfortable. So book your free discovery call today at leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. I want to ask you about hands, because sexuality or or intimacy often involves hands a lot. And the way that you talk involves your hands. So I'm curious, um, how that informs your experience of sexuality. I'll be honest, it's pretty awkward. Um, It can be. It's a discussion that definitely has to happen beforehand. Mm -hmm. 
it's it's not typically great to surprise somebody with that because then you're on your back and you're like, oh, I need to switch, and then they're like, is that a switch or is it a, or is it a go? And then it's a stop. Is it, are you saying stop or are you saying yeah. something else? So you know, sometimes it can get confused. Where if you're trying to touch somebody or if you're trying to talk to somebody, and it sometimes it takes away from the experience because it can bring you out of the moment. Do you tend to partner with people who are also deaf or hard of hearing? Mm, I mean, I don't really have a preference. If if it's if it's a good lay, it's a good lay. I don't really care if you can hear or not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm mostly quest uh I'm mostly wondering about the hands thing if the people who you're with generally understand the need to differentiate between speaking and touching. Yeah, no, I I get that. Um so if you've seen the part of deaf you, you know, there's a lot of times people have to stop what they're doing, stop touching each other, talk, and then go back to cuddling or something like that. And, you know, if you're spooning, you're facing away from each other. So you have to take yourself out of the moment to talk to each other or you're laying in these awkward positions. And you're like, oh, yeah, this is fine. I just I need to see your eyes. And now my neck hurts. And now I have to figure out how to lay comfortably again. It's it's definitely I've had to stop sex itself and I've had to stop foreplay to be able to have this, this communication run smoothly. It, it's, it can be awkward. How much do you talk with your partners before you have sex about here are the things I want to do here, are the things I don't want to do that kind of thing. Uh, sometimes I forget to do that at all. Um, kind of, if, it, if it's a spur of the moment type of deal, things just kind of happen, but I do feel like it's important to maybe have a partner that's used to what you want already. That way you don't have to worry about doing this super often. It really, it depends on what your own preferences are too. So if you're like, Hey, this is what I like. This is what I don't like. Uh, the conversations can get easier if it, you've already had them. Yeah, sure. So I want to ask you some questions about things that came up in deaf you. Is that okay with you? Yeah, sure. One of the things you talked about was the difficulty in the relationship with your dad. And I wonder how that impacts your relationships, specifically your sexual relationships. Well, I noticed before and a little continuous that I I do have a hard time expressing myself to my boyfriends. And I don't do very well with communication. You know, I, I've noticed that sometimes I, I do get caught up in the playing of games and not communicating clearly and really just distancing myself and making myself emotionally unavailable in these relationships. I don't really have much communication with my father at this point. And, you know, that, that was typical for me. So that's just kind of how my setup is with men in general. But with my sexual experiences, it really hinders me from being able to communicate certain things. So sometimes I'll just opt to not say what I'm feeling and not disclose if there's something happening that I don't like. And I'll just wait until he's finished and then get mad at him for it later. But I never told him something was wrong. So I've noticed stuff like that. Mm -hmm. 
Is that something that you want to work on, want to change? Alexa said, during my first year at college, I was in an entirely new environment, and I felt a huge pressure to fit in and get male validation. I thought the way to do that was to not respect my boundaries and allow men to walk over me. Then later, I realized that I wasn't being fair to myself. I wasn't respecting my own needs and desires. So I started putting my foot down and saying no, walking away and stuff like that. It wasn't easy at first, but it got easier over time. I don't want to be afraid of hurting somebody's feelings when I'm communicating my needs. So that's something that I'm also trying to work on because, as I said, oftentimes I'll just clam up instead of speaking up for myself. So now I'm doing I'm doing more talking on my own and I'm getting more comfortable in exercising my control of a situation because I know that it's important to be able to do that. One of the things that was a major piece of your story in the show, and I recognize that it's edited, so this <laughs> wasn't necessarily your whole story, um, but it was um, the conversation around having had a pregnancy. It sounded from what they showed that he maybe removed a condom. I'm not interested in making him the bad guy and asking these questions. I'm curious about what that experience was for you of discovering that maybe your consent wasn't a primary consideration for your partner in that experience. Alexa said, Yes, that entire situation was really awful. It was just a terrible experience overall, and it was such a hard time for me. It was a conversation we had several times, and it was just a terrible time. It was a very sticky situation overall and was very confusing for both of us. I was really pissed off and scared, and I don't think that was very healthy for me at that point. Here's what happened. I started birth control the week Daquan and I got together. I communicated that with him, explaining how birth control doesn't go in effect until a week or so after. He was fully aware of that. Protection is obviously very important. It's huge. And I decided to make that decision because you have to be careful and take your own health into consideration. If I want to have kids, it'll be up to me, but I don't want to do that now. I consented to having unprotected intercourse, but I did not consent to having him ejaculate inside me. I never wanted him to finish in me. I wanted the pullout to happen, and I just feel like a lot was broken. The conversations, the promises, it was really messed up. He never treated me like he loved me. He never treated me like a partner. We agreed to be friends with benefits. He never mentioned anything about starting a family. But in our conversations later, he openly admitted he did it on purpose. By doing that, he violated so many parts of me. I struggle to move forward from his behavior. It has hurt so many parts of me. I'm trying to figure out how to move on from it. 
After the show aired, a few of my friends reached out to me explaining how that was actually rape. It took me some time to process it, but I finally understand why, in the eyes of some, that was rape. I consented to have unprotected sex, but I never consented to having him come inside me. I struggle with trusting him after this happened, and it still affects me with my current relationship. I doubt my partner's truthfulness and him promising that he would never do what Daquan did. I can have a full-on meltdown if I think a drop of cum came inside me. But my boyfriend now is mindful of what happened to me, so he does a great job at reassuring me and giving me as much validation and reassurance as I need. He buys plan B, even though he knows he didn't come inside me. Hey, everybody. Now, this is Leah speaking in Leah's voice again for just a moment. I want to address something Alexa just shared, that her friends told her it was rape, and that was a new idea for her. You might be wondering how it could be considered rape if she consented to having intercourse. Here's how I would talk about it. If you give consent to someone penetrating you with their fingers or a sex toy, and they proceed to penetrate you with their penis, that penile penetration is non-consensual activity. That's assault. If you give consent to someone penetrating you with a condom and they take the condom off, anything that happens after the condom comes off is non-consensual activity, and that's assault. If you give consent to someone penetrating you without a condom, with the understanding that they will pull out before ejaculation, if they don't pull out, that ejaculation is non-consensual and it is assault. Now, you wouldn't be able to take these definitions into a court. In the United States, our courts rely on the idea that once you say yes, you've said yes to a whole range of generalized activities. But that's not how our brains process things. Our brains are much more granular. Think of a child who says they want apple slices and you sneak in a piece of pineapple. They will scream bloody murder because they did not consent to that intrusion. But our legal system would say they wanted fruit. You gave them fruit. Case closed. So that's why I would agree with Alexa's friends that she was assaulted. That would not stand up in court. But I think it's important to call a thing what it is. And ejaculating inside her was a non-consensual act. Okay, this was my last break in. So now you can just relax and enjoy the rest of the interview as is. Have you been able to trust other men that you have slept with since then? Well, before Daquan, I had a problem trusting men, but that was something that I was already aware of. It was very internalized, and I, I didn't notice that coming out to play in sex. Um, I don't think I could ever fully trust men. Between my first experience being so bad, my relationship with my father, what happened with Daquan. What about you mentioned that you're in a relationship now? How is the communication there? It's actually very good. My current relationship, I feel like we can talk about almost anything. And there's been a lot of focus on our communication, which I think is just so important. And we are able to have our disagreements and talk it out. 
even something as simple as we're not agreeing on where we want to go to dinner. But there's a lot of room for us to talk and it's, it's been great. Why do you think that it's so different with your current partner? I think I have finally figured out my own internal stuff and now I know my own mind. And after everything that happened with Daquan, I am finally starting, after my trust was broken, I'm finally starting to figure out how to take care of what I need in the situation and how to have these conversations in a way that doesn't discourage the other person. Yeah. When we were um, talking before the interview, you mentioned that you would like to talk about how you're seen in the deaf community after having done the show and and talked about sex so openly. So uh, the deaf community is very small. And now I'm on the show and I'm talking about sex and, and I'm still talking about sex and it's considered a taboo topic even still. So I'm having these frank discussions in a small, judgy community. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to start breaking my relationship to the deaf community just because I'm comfortable having conversations about what I'm doing with myself. I don't want them looking at me saying, what's wrong with this woman? You know, I'm just being me. And, you know, I started, I started young. And it's my personal choice to share these stories. You know, the first time I'm having sex, the first positive experience, when I lost my virginity and what that seemed like. I don't want to be dismissed by the deaf community for being willing to have these conversations with the entire world. So I just wanted to make sure that, you know, I'm still being seen as a person and not just somebody who was on a TV show talking about what I thought that other people wanted to hear. I'm a very go with the flow person. And I just I want to make sure everybody knows who I am. Yeah. What parts of yourself do you feel like people don't know? I feel like I'm a very open minded person. I just I can't say that I I don't like you if I've never even put in the effort to like you. It's just not something that I believe in. I am very open-minded and I feel that we should get to know each other. And how can you say that you don't like something if you've never tried it before? I, I don't know. Maybe maybe this will feel good, but I've I've already decided that I don't like it, so now I'm not going to try. Now I won't get that experience. So I want I have the ability to have different perspectives. And I I'm not a closed-off person. I'm a very upfront here this is my picture and here's my name. Let me do an interview about sex. And I think that can often get misconstrued as to be something that it's not. And that could set up a disconnect from the world. So that's why I think it's important for us to talk about stuff like this. And that people who are disconnected from their community have a way of getting information. I love that. And I'm grateful that you're willing to do it. Yeah, I, I love I love having these conversations. I love being able to share my experiences. <laughs> How did your parents respond to you talking so openly about sex on the show? Uh, my dad wasn't very happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he he seemed less than thrilled. <laughs> He's like, Alexa, what are you doing? Why are you talking about these things? And it was very hard for him to grasp why I was. So he, he prefers to pretend that I don't know anything about stuff like that. <laughs> 
he he still looks at me like I'm I'm a child. He goes, "Wow." <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have any particular questions about sex that you haven't had a chance to ask anybody yet? I noticed I had a, a few painful sexual experiences and I wanted to know why that was and if it was something serious, but I did talk to one of my one of my girlfriends about it. And uh, we talked about vaginismus, actually. And then, you know, we talked about symptoms, signs, what else could possibly be causing pain. So that helped. We talked about maybe needing more foreplay to lubricate. <laughs> maybe how people figure out if a painful thing is serious or not, what should and shouldn't hurt and why. So there's um, a misunderstanding for a lot of people that um, the person with the penis and the person with the vagina should both be ready at the same time. And in fact, the male turn on cycle tends to happen very quickly. And the female turn on cycle is a much slower it can take a lot of, like you said, a lot of foreplay or, um, or that warm up time for the female to get lubricated so that sex feels good. And if the female is not lubricating either because there hasn't been enough warm up time or because you just have a drier body or there's something else going on. Lubricant is your friend. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love lube. It's great. It's awesome. Yeah. A lot of women have been told to that if they need lube, it means that they're somehow failing, like their body is not doing the right thing. And I really want to break that stereotype and that myth. Forgot I had read something once. It was related to uh, foreplay for women. I can't remember exactly the name of the article it was, but they were talking about being wet me means that your cervix is ready to stretch, and that's that's helpful for giving birth. And if it's not, then that's why it's painful because you're not stretched enough and ready to receive the penis or whatever. So that warm up process, the lubrication means all of your um, bits down there are swelling with fluids, and it does make it easier for you to receive the penis. Um, and so your original question was, how do you know the difference between just not wet enough and something being wrong? So the answer is lube. And if you use more lube and it's still uncomfortable, then it's a good idea to get things checked out. But if the lube takes care of it, then it's probably just that you weren't wet enough. Oh, okay. That's good to know. I wish I had known that earlier. I wouldn't have been as worried. I mean, you know, we all, we're all drive time to time, but uh, if I had known that earlier, I would have had a lot less panic in my life. <laughs> and that's why this is important. <laughs> and then I would have maybe have smacked my boyfriend a little harder and told him to get to work. Yes. <laughs> and that's why these conversations are important, because we all walk around thinking that we're the broken ones, when in fact, it's just our bodies doing what bodies do. 
I get so many messages from listeners saying, thank you for the show. I've listened to the whole back catalog and it's helped me completely transform my sex life. Are you one of those people? If so, I'd love to have your support so I can keep growing this show and bringing a new vision of sexuality to the world. If you haven't done it yet, please take a moment to rate and review this podcast. I know the podcast industry does not make reviewing a show easy. So go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash goodgirls, and it should lead you through the process of posting a review. I'd love to get 100 reviews by the end of the year, and I could use your help. And if you have the financial resources to support the sex positive work I do, I'd be so grateful for your support at Patreon. Donating the equivalent of a fancy cup of coffee each month might not make a big difference to you, but it makes a huge difference to me. There's no contract or obligation. You can cancel at any time. And... I donate 10% of all proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are now either illegal or heavily legislated. It's easy to become a patron at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. And speaking of Patreon... There is a treasure trove of additional audio at Patreon that's free for everyone to listen to. You don't even need to have a Patreon account to access it. Just go to patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex to start listening. I appreciate every one of you, whether you're a client, a contributor, a social media follower, or a silent listener. I trust you to know what's right for you. Thank you for being here. Now, let's get back to the show. And now it's time for the lowdown. The things we're dying to know, but would usually be too polite to ask any good girl. What's the approximate number of sex partners you've had? Probably around 10 or 15. (laughs) That's funny because the show made it out to look like you had a lot of partners just during the taping of the show. Yes, I noticed that as well. I I did date a lot, but (laughs) doesn't mean that I always have sex with everybody that I date and I don't sleep around. Yeah, sure. What are your hard red lines, things that you won't do? Yeah, choking for me is a no-go. Um, I won't do that. It It's a little, it's scary. No, thank you. I tried it once and I hated it. I will never do it again. Yeah. <laughs> what belief did you have about sex as a child that you wish you could go back and correct her on now? I wish that I could tell her sex is not everything. You don't need it to be happy. You don't need it for a functioning relationship. All of this stuff is just internalized. And that it's okay that if if you don't want to do it, it's okay. You're your own person and you can make those decisions. You don't need it. 
But if you want it, you go for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we've mentioned a couple of times that uh, things that were portrayed in the TV show that maybe weren't exactly the way they are in real life. Are there any other things that you'd like to clear up? Um, anything else that you'd like to say about how you were portrayed in the show? Just, you know, remember, it's a show. It's edited. Not everything is true. Not everything's the way that it seems. You're not getting the full story, you know? Yeah. Excellent. Um, Alexa, that is all. I am so grateful to you for taking the time to do this. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed this. It was fun. It was definitely a new thing for me to get to do. Excellent. I'm glad. I loved it. <laughs> Great. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And also thank you to Courtney for being such a wonderful interpreter. Thank you. That's it for today. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, or if you're using another podcast app, go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash goodgirls. And remember, there's a treasure trove of audio extras available for free at Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash goodgirlstalkaboutsex. While listening to those extras is free, producing this show is not. If my work is meaningful to you, and you have a few dollars to support it each month, I will gratefully accept your patronage at Patreon. I donate 10% of all Patreon proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are increasingly difficult to obtain. Find out more and become a community member at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. Show notes and transcripts for this episode are at goodgirlstalk.com. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Good Girls Talk for more sex positive content. If you have a question or comment about anything you've heard on the show, call and leave a message at 720-GOOD-SEX. Good Girls Talk About Sex is produced by me, Leah Carey, and edited by Gretchen Kilby. I have additional administrative support from Lara O'Connor and Maria Franco. Transcripts are produced by Jan Asiello. Before we go, I want to remind you that the things you may have heard about your sexuality aren't true. You are worthy. You are desirable. You are are not broken. As your sex and intimacy coach, I will guide you in embracing the sexuality that is innately yours, no matter what it looks like. To set up your free discovery call, go to leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. Until next time, here's to your better sex life.